0: Welcome to Real Life Church. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us online at reallifeankeny.org. Now let's join this week's service already in progress.
1: Go down, sit in the dust, virgin daughter Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, queen city of the
0: Babylonians. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. No more
1: will you be called tender or delicate. Take millstones and grind flour. Take off your veil. Lift up your skirts, bare your legs, and wade through the streams. Your nakedness will be exposed and your shame uncovered. I will take vengeance. I will
0: spare no one. Her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Give back to her as she has given.
1: Our Redeemer, the Lord Almighty is his name, is the Holy One of
0: Israel. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. Sit in silence. Go into darkness,
1: Queen City of the Babylonians. No more will you be called Queen of Kingdoms.
0: In her heart she boasts, I sit as queen, I am not a widow, and I will never mourn. I was angry with my people and
1: desecrated my inheritance. I gave them into your hand, and you showed them no mercy. Even on the aged, you
0: laid a very heavy yoke. In her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and all who have been killed on the earth. You said,
1: I am forever the eternal queen. But you do not consider these things or reflect on what might happen. In her heart she boasts, I sit as queen and I will never mourn. Now listen then, you lover of pleasure, lounging in your security and saying to yourself, I am and there is none besides me. I will never be a widow or suffer the loss of children. In her heart she boasts, I am not a widow. Both of these will overtake you in a moment on a single day loss of children, and widowhood. They will come upon you in full measure, in spite of your many sorceries and all your potent spells.
0: In one day her plagues will overtake her. Woe, woe, O great city, O Babylon, city of power. In one hour your doom has come.
1: You have trusted in your wickedness. You have said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and knowledge mislead you when you say to yourself, I am. And there is none besides me.
0: They will say, was there ever a city like this great city? Disaster
1: will come upon you, and you will not know how to conjure it away. A calamity will fall upon you that you cannot ward off with a ransom. A catastrophe you cannot foresee,
0: and suddenly it will come upon you. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, With such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down. Keep
1: on, then, with your magic spells and with your many sorceries, which you have labored at since childhood. Perhaps you will succeed. Perhaps you will cause terror. All the counsel you have received has only worn you out. Let your astrologers come forward, those stargazers who make predictions month by month. Let them save you from what is coming upon you. By your magic spells, all the nations were led astray. Surely they are like stubble. The fire will burn them up. They cannot even save themselves from the power of the flame. These are not coals for warmth. This is not a fire to sit by.
0: She will be consumed by fire, for mighty
1: is the Lord God who judges her. That is all they are to you. These you have dealt with and labored with since childhood. All of them go on in their error. There is not one that can save you. Leave Babylon.
0: Flee from the Babylonians. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out from Babylon, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. Announce this with shouts of
1: joy and proclaim it. Send it out to the ends of the earth. Say, The Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob.
0: Rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets. God has judged her for the way she treated you. Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Let's pray.
1: Lord, we're just thankful for each person that joined us here for our worship today. And we know that that none of us is here by chance. And I just ask that you will touch every single person here with a strong message of your the good plan you have for each of us and, and your love for all of us. And just ask that you'll be with Reed today as he teaches your message and that, uh, that you'll give him your wisdom and, and your insight uh, into exactly what it is you know each of us needs to hear today, Lord. Lord, we just don't want to take one blessing for granted that you have poured down on us. So we just lift up and praise your name today with, uh, with joy and with gratefulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Well, there's really no way to sugarcoat it. Isaiah 47 is a chapter about God's judgment. In verse 3, the Lord Almighty says, I will take vengeance, I will spare no one. And that is a problem uh, for many people because our culture refuses to recognize a God that brings judgment on anybody for any reason. Uh, The world wants either a God who does not exist at all Or a God who is so weak, he wouldn't harm a flea. But the reality is, God will bring judgment on our culture, just as he did on Babylon. Our world is heading toward the same disastrous end that Babylon had. In this chapter, God predicts the humiliation and defeat of Israel's cruel adversary, Babylon. And for God's people, this was a cause of worship and rejoicing. God revealed himself as the one who fights for his people, the one who will bring down her proud and cruel enemies. He is the one who saves his people from evil and from evil people. He is our Redeemer, the Almighty, the Holy One of Israel, as Isaiah said. In Isaiah 47, the question is, can God deliver Israel from the pomp and the power and the cruelty of the world, of the Babylonians? In our time and always, the question is, can God deliver his people from the pomp and the power and the persecution and the cruelty of the world? And the answer is a resounding yes. Our God is glorious. He is mighty in power to save. The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ was crucified for our sins, rose from the dead, and ascended to heaven, and that he will come back to judge the world. The next event, really, on this world's calendar is the coming of Christ, but it 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 will come with judgment. He will come back to judge sinners, to destroy the wicked, and to set up his kingdom of righteousness and peace on the earth. And he will rule as king of kings and lord of lords. Now, in a, in a very solemn way, solemn way this, the Bible says that the turn, the return of Christ will be a terrible event for those who do not know God, for those who remain in their sins, for those who persist in their rejection of God and Christ, who re- persist in their rebellion. Second Thessalonians 1, Paul said, When the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels, he will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. So it will be a terrible event for those who do not know God. But it will be a wonderful event for those who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ. In Hebrews it says, Christ will appear a second time to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So it will be judgment on the world and salvation for God's people, just like it was back in Isaiah It may sound strange to say it but without judgment there is no such thing as Christianity I mean Christianity begins or is based on the reality Christianity doesn't doesn't create a false or this concept of judgment it is based on the reality that there is judgment that we need to escape the good news of the gospel is that God has provided a way of salvation, a way that you can escape the judgment through looking to Christ to save you. In fact, the whole concept of salvation, being saved, makes no sense at all if there were no judgment. If there was nothing to be saved from, if there was nothing to be rescued from, There's no reason to get saved. There's no reason to come to Jesus. There's no reason for any of us to be here this morning. It all starts with the reality that we are under judgment. Another another maybe way to look at it. The, The reason that it matters so much that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus is because outside of Christ, there is condemnation. Jesus himself said, whoever believes is not Whoever believes is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. So we see in Scripture this this extreme, this very stark picture between salvation and judgment. Salvation and safety in Christ and condemnation outside of Christ. No condemnation in Christ, but death, destruction, and condemnation outside of Christ. Now, the judgments that we read that are spoken of in Isaiah 47, are spoken against the historical city of Babylon. Babylon was a real place, a real city, a real empire. If you were somehow able to go back in time to the 6th century BC, you would be stunned by the greatness and the beauty and the power of Babylon. It's one of the greatest cities of one of the greatest empires in human history. We really do not have a city in our world today, that would stand out singularly in such pomp and power and authority as Babylon had in the 6th century BC. We might think of New York City or something, but uh, Babylon was, was unique in its uh, power over the world at that time. But this chapter is not just a picture of ancient Babylon being overrun by Cyrus and the Persians. It is a prophetic picture of world culture coming under, being under the judgment of God. And if you would like to know the future of our culture and of the world, it is right here in this chapter. Nearly this entire, entire chapter, as we said earlier, is repeated in chapter 18 of the book of Revelation using the same thoughts and direct quotes, particularly from verses 7, 8, and 9. In other words, the angel of the Lord that gave this revelation to John in the book of Revelation, the angel of the Lord used the very words of Isaiah 47 to predict the downfall of end-time Babylon. So, we see that the judgment's pronounced uh, on Babylon are the same judgments pronounced upon end-time Babylon. In the Bible, Babylon is code for the world system. God shows us through ancient Babylon the sins and rebellion of a world raised up against God. Babylon in Revelation represents man-centered, anti-Christ culture of the unregenerate, unsaved world. This will culminate in mankind uniting against God just before Christ returns. This rebellion will be led or, or greatly influenced by Babylon, which is called the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. Revelation seventeen two. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. In other words, Babylon, the world system, has and will have increasingly this this seductive influence to pull people into false beliefs and false religion, false philosophies, and thinking in their hearts that is raised up against the knowledge of God. So the whole world, it says in Revelation, all the kings and all the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated by Babylon under her seductive influence. In some very small way, I think of how Hollywood has and still does seduce our culture into sin. I mean, a lot of the immorality in our culture, a lot of the thinking that is anti-God in our culture has has been um, begun, had the seeds of it begun, and it's been propagated through the media, through Hollywood, uh, and it's it, it's... it's it, we've become in our, whole, our whole country, our culture has become intoxicated with that thinking of that worldly thinking that emanates out of Hollywood. Babylon represents everything that is against God in our culture and in the hearts and minds in our world today. It represents spiritual adultery, spiritual unfaithfulness. It represents everything that is twisted and distorted and false. About uh, religion, including the dis- distortions of, of Christianity. Uh, Babylon represents lust for wealth and lust for pleasure and hostility toward God. Babylon, Babylon symbolizes success, ease, being cool, and forgetting about God. In one sense, in Scripture, there are only two cities. I'd never thought about this before, but as I was studying this, I was just struck how clearly. In all of Scripture, there are really only two cities. God's city, which is called Zion or or Jerusalem, and man's city, which is called Babylon. Babylon represents mankind without God. Jerusalem represents the people of God. And this, that contrast is actually seen, if you, the, if, if, if you look at the very last verse of chapter 46 and the first verse of chapter 47, God says, I will grant salvation to Zion. The very next verse, go down Babylon, sit in the dust without a throne. So there is salvation. God brings salvation and redemption to his people, but there is judgment in man's city. And, I mean, in a sense, the big question for every person, even for us here this morning, are we in God's city or in man's city? Are we in Zion or Babylon? The origins of, of, this, of Babylon go clear back to the Tower of Babel. Uh, that was the first, uh, first place that people made the united effort to rebel against God. And it's interesting, you see in the book of Revelation, you see the same time, if you know the story of Babylon or Babel at all, where people all got together and said, we're going to unite together and we're going to do something on our own, make a name for ourselves, work together. Well, in the same way in end time Babylon, you'll see in Revelation 17, 18, and 19, you'll see how people unite in a religion, unite together in a false religion that exalts itself up against God. We see in in, uh, Revelation, we see... In end-time Babylon, we see people and rulers united in their stand against God. End-time Babylon is anti-God, anti-Christian, and anti-Bible because it hates to be ruled by the rule of God. Now, it does not take much imagination to see the seeds of this rebellion, rebellion in our culture today. We are most of the way there already. Uh, There's presently an avalanche of opposition to Jesus, to God, and to God's righteous laws. We see it in the public flaunting of sins, the open approval we give to sexual immorality of every sort, the crass egotism and pride, the massive time given to entertainment and pleasure and yet having no time for God. There's, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong in some sense with having enjoyment and pleasure. I mean, God created all things for us to enjoy, but there's this sense, this worldly sense, in which the world twists that he, and, and, and exaggerates it so that we become consumed with entertainment and pleasures, and then there's no time for God. But the Bible says all of this will come to an abrupt end. God brought about the downfall of ancient Babylon and he will bring about the downfall of our present culture and world. The downfall of, of Babylon in Isaiah 47 shadow, foreshadows the end time judgment on the world. Uh, in other words, in, in the smaller judgments of history, okay, are you with me? In the smaller judgments of history, I don't care whether it's the flood or the destruction of Babylon, in these smaller judgments of history, God is showing us something of the colossal final judgment of the world. So the judgment of Babylon described in Isaiah 47 is like, is like a tremor, but the massive earthquake of final world judgment is coming. And the judgment of God in the end times will be just as real as the flood, just as real as the destruction of Babylon in 536 B.C. The judgment of God is not theoretical. It really happens. It really happens to people. It happened in history, and it will happen again. Now, we're going to run through the verses in Isaiah 47 and just make some brief comments, and then we're going to talk about how does this really affect us? What what are we supposed to do with this? All right, verse 1. Go down, sit in the dust, virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne. So God is just saying to these proud, powerful people, instead of your royal splendor, you're going to sit in the dirt. The luxury and comfort that people seek after And see and lust after in this world will someday all be gone. No no more will you be called tender or delicate. Take millstones and grind flour. Take off your veil, lift up your skirts, bare your legs and wade through the streams. Your nakedness will be exposed, your shame uncovered. Now, this is not referring uh, to some individual girl in the city of Babylon. This is representing Babylon... It's representing the city, the empire of Babylon. is representing Babylon to us as a pampered, self-indulgent, spoiled girl who has always gotten her way. And God says, now she is going to be humbled and shamed. It is a picture of the, of the world with all its glitz and glamour being humbled before the Lord God Almighty. Verse 3, I will take vengeance... You know, many people scoff at the idea of a day of judgment, but God said, I will do it. I will take vengeance. Revelation 18.5 tells us why. Because her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquity. God always judges because of sins. I mean, that is why we are all under the penalty of death. The wages of sin is death. God judges because of sins. And God always remembers iniquities. God always remembers iniquities unless the blood of Jesus has cleansed you from all your sins. Then it says He remembers them no more. I mean, the contrast between people whose sins are piled up to heaven and God remembers those iniquities and He's coming to judge them in righteousness and truth. And on the other hand, of God's people who have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, I will remember your sins and iniquities no more. Amazing, the contrast. I will spare no one. I will spare no one. Everyone is subject to God's judgment. But if you are in Christ, then the judgment that was appointed for you was taken by Christ. In your place, as your substitute. I mean, And that's what we mean by the substitutionary atonement. Christ died in our place. The judgment that was coming at us. It says in Ephesians that we were all once objects of wrath. We had wrath coming at us. But Christ, when we trust in Christ, He, he took that in our place, and He has become our substitute. And... That's a wonderful thing. But for those not in Christ, it will fall on them directly. I will spare no one. Verse 4, Our Redeemer, the Lord Almighty, is His name, is the Holy One of Israel. Just in the midst of this chapter, Isaiah, in a sense, bursts out in this song. Oh, our Redeemer. Our Redeemer. The Lord Almighty is His name, the Holy One of Israel. God redeems Israel, but judges Israel. Babylon and again there are only two options the Lord will either be your Redeemer or your judge and if you if you realize that number one you flee to the Lord as your Savior and if you already have have turned to the Lord as your Savior it makes you just so much more grateful and thankful uh, when we see what really the world is headed for to know that we are redeemed and saved it is truly a great thing number verse five sit in silence go into darkness daughter of the Babylonians no more will you be called the queen of the kingdoms the, the pride of man will one day be abased totally one day the pride of man that says I am queen <laughs> um, will totally be gone. Verse 6, I was angry with my people. I gave them into your hand, but you showed them no mercy. Even on the elderly, you laid a heavy yoke. God did use the Babylonians to discipline his own people, but he still holds the Babylonians accountable for their cruelty and abuses to the people of Israel and particularly on the old ones. But just as ancient Babylon oppressed God's people, from based on the book of Revelation, you see that, that Babylon, the end-time Babylon, oppresses, persecutes, and kills the saints. And that is the reason that God pronounces judgment on them, or one of the reasons. They will be judged for that. And that has happened in history. The world, Babylon, the world has always uh, persecuted, and opposed, um, Killed even the saints. Um, I, boy, I've just been reading some book on church history and just amazing the, uh, uh, the suffering and cruelty that uh, the world has brought upon believers in different ages. And it will happen. It will happen in the final uh, days. Verse 7. You said, I will continue forever the eternal queen, but you did not consider these things or reflect on what might happen to you. Again, Babylon thought she was proud, she thought she was invincible, and would never fall. And I think there's people in the United States that think that same way. They think our culture will never fall. Uh, yet, just as he predicted, God raised up Cyrus Cyrus, and crushed Babylon, defeated her. You know, when people become successful, they tend to think that's going to go on forever. But it won't. The USA will not last forever. Uh, man in his pomp will not last forever, the world will not last forever. God God began the world when he decided to, when he created it, Genesis 1, and he will bring this world as we know it to an end as he describes it in Revelation 17, 18, and 19. Verse 8, Now listen, you wanton creature, you lover of pleasure, lounging in your security and saying to yourself, I am and there is none besides me. I will never be a widow or suffer the loss of children. Interesting, we've just been reading in Isaiah, how many times does God say, I am and there is no one besides me. No one like me. No one but me. And he says, I'm going to judge Babylon because that's what you guys say. You say, I am and there is no one else. And this is the world that we live in. Completely... Uh, self-indulgent living for pleasure only extreme egotism extreme self-confidence extreme independence from god extreme pomp and pride but verse 9 both of these will overtake you in a moment on a single day loss of children and widowhood revelation 18:19 in 1 hour she has been brought to ruin the Bible says just, just when everyone is saying peace and safety, judgment will come upon the world with shocking suddenness. Verse 9, you have trusted in your wickedness and have said, no one sees me. People today see, say, there is no God who sees me. Just like what a- people in ancient Babylon were saying. We can sin and get away with it. We can do whatever we want and get away with it. Because we don't care about God. We don't care about what he says. We don't e- We don't even... We deny that he is even there, but no one fools God. Verse 10, your wisdom and knowledge mislead you. You say to yourself, I am, and there is none besides me. I'm sorry, I just read that, didn't didn't I? Uh, Verse 11, verse 11, but disaster will come upon you, and you will not know how to conjure it away. A catastrophe will come upon you that you cannot ward off with a ransom. In other words, God is saying, "There's, there's no magic spell that you're gonna, nothing nothing magical. You're going to be able to save that's going to going to stave off my judgment. You can't stop it with any amount of money or riches. You can't buy your way out of judgment. And the Bible makes clear, man is destined to, to die once, and after that comes judgment, and no one can change that. Verses twelve through fifteen is really is really like a taunt." Keep on with your magic spells and your many sorceries. Perhaps you will succeed. Let your astrologers come forward and those stargazers who make predictions. Let them save you from what is coming. You know, Babylon was big into astrology and God is just saying, that won't save you from what is coming. I am the Lord, there is no other. What I plan happens and nothing you can do will stop it. And just as a side note here, when you come into the kingdom of God, When you get saved, when you come under the lordship of Jesus Christ, there is no place for horoscopes and psychics and spiritism and fortune-telling. That's a part of Babylon. You don't want anything to do with it. Verse 14, the fire will burn them up. They cannot even save themselves from the power of the flame. This is no fire to sit by or warm yourself up. Uh, very, very interesting what, what he says here. In other words, God is saying, don't underestimate the severity of judgment. This is not going to be a fire that you can sit by and warm yourself up and, you know, feel comfortable with. This fire is going to bring destruction. It will consume you. Uh, and the world underestimates the blazing fierceness of God's judgment. And that's, that's why people say things like, I don't mind if I go to hell, all my friends are going to be there. I mean, they have no idea what they are talking about. They have no idea of the fierceness of God's judgment upon sinners. Verse 15, each one of them goes on in his error, there is not one that can save you. You know, when people go on in their error. In other words, when people just persist in living without God and Christ, then God says, there's no one to save you. All right, now I want to turn to applications for this. And really bring this down to how this needs to affect our thinking and responses. Uh, Number one, I I just want to ask you a question. Which viewpoint are you living out? God is the Lord and there is no other, or I am my own boss and there is no other? And see, the seeds of this man-centered thought that I am and there is no other, the seeds of this man-centered thinking are, are rampant, even in the church. And so often people say that I am the Lord's, but then they, they, they follow and live after their own counsel and have very little regard for God's word or God's counsel. And in reality, many people live by this philosophy, I am, and there is no other. Or like Babylon, they say, I sit as queen. I'm queen. I do what I want, when I want. And they might, they make, might make all kinds of professions of godliness But in reality, that is how they're living. I am queen. I do what I want, when I want. They're not governed by faithfulness to God or commitment to God. They do what they feel like at the moment because inwardly they really feel I am queen. It's all about me. Rather, we are to say the Lord is the only one. He he is everything that matters. He is the center all that I do, or at least I want everything that I do to revolve around his reign in my heart, his authority, his lordship. No, not, not I am queen, but Christ is Lord. And it has to, that has to play out in how we live and in our, in our, our priorities and what we do. I am not queen, Christ is Lord. Number two, come out from the world and come to Jesus. As it says, leave Babylon, flee from the Babylonians. Uh, If you understand what Babylon stands for, boy, that has so much application to us. Come out from the world and be separate, as, as the scripture says. Flee from the world. Get out of the world and into the safety of Christ and of God's people. And I don't know if there's, there may be someone here this morning who really, truly, if if the truth were totally known, has not been born again, has not uh, repented of their sins and turned to Christ to save them. And the message for you this morning would be to come out of the world, come out of Babylon and turn to Christ. Judgment is in Babylon, come to safety and salvation in Jesus Christ. The entire unbelieving world is facing such a terrible and severe and fiery judgment. You must escape to safety. And so that's that's what it says, not only in Isaiah, but it says the same thing in Revelation. And this is really communicated as a message that applies to believers too. Revelation 18.4, Come out from her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins. You cannot walk with Christ and the world. You cannot be in Christ and Babylon at the same time. You cannot love God and the world. And, you know, we have to be careful, people, because uh, uh, for the most part, our our culture is raised up against God and his word. And what Revelation says is, Be careful to come out from that so that you do not share in its sins. We don't want to to share in the sins or the judgment of the world. And so so God calls us to to come out from that and to be uniquely His. Number three, rejoice in God's coming judgment. I'm going to spend the most time on this one because I think it might be, might be the hardest one for us to get. Revelation 19.1 says, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God for true and just are his judgments. So in, other, in other words, they're singing, Hallelujah! Because God is righteous and true in his judgments. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! You know, most of you have heard of the Hallelujah Chorus from Handel's Messiah I'm not going to sing it for you. I was going to start, but no, I don't think I better. Um, but you, you know the Hallelujah Chorus. Well, the, the Hallelujah Chorus is, is, was inspired by Revelation chapter 19, which shows us, shows the church or a great multitude in heaven singing hallelujah over God's judgment of the world and of the enemies of Christ. Yet many of us, I think, have a, have a problem with that or struggle with that. So, I want to talk about why are we to rejoice in God's coming to judge the earth. Now, certainly, I do not believe that we are to gloat over other people's uh, condemnation. But we are to rejoice in God's judgment. Number one, God's judgment will mean justice is finally done on this earth. Justice is, is so incomplete, so partial, things end up so unfair on this world but when God comes, He will judge the world in equity, in justice, in righteousness, and the judgment will reveal His righteousness and justice. Hallelujah! For true and just are His judgments. There is nothing unrighteous or unfair about God or His judgment. It's interesting. I find even in Bab in the in, in uh, Isaiah 47, God spent so much time just telling Babylon exactly why he's going to judge them. I mean, and it's like giving them every chance. He tells them he's going to judge them for their cruelty to his people, for their arrogance and their pride, for their trust and their idols and their astrology, for their contempt for God for saying, I am and I don't need you. I mean, God spells it all out. He is just and righteous. The Bible also says that people will not be able to disagree with the justice of God. His, judgment will be, his justice and judgments are so perfect that everyone's mouth will be stopped. Romans one thirty two says, Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, but also approve of those who practice them. I find the first part of that very interesting. This is talking about all mankind. Although they know, either by revelation of Scripture or in the conscience, intuitively, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve deserve death, they not only continue to do those things, they give hearty approval to those who practice them. God's judgment will be just because he will vindicate all the saints who have been mistreated or afflicted or martyred. Rejoice over her, O heaven. Verse 20 of chapter 18. Rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets. God has judged her for the way she treated you. God will avenge all wrong, and he he will be so utterly just in his judgments. Number two. We should rejoice because God's judgment reveals His majesty, His glory, and His power. Revelation eleven seventeen says, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. You know, we see only a small part of God's glory and power at present, but it is in judgment that we will see a great deal more of his glory and his power as he strikes down sin and rebellion, as he comes to rule the nations with a rod of iron, uh, we will truly say our God is an awesome God. Number three, God's judgment will bring an end to evil. It brought an end to Babylon. It will bring an end to wickedness in the end. There will never be an end to evil and wickedness and the sorrows of this world until God judges the earth. In fact, it is the judgment of God that that will remove all that is impure, all that is shameful, all that is deceitful, all that is unjust, unjust, and rebellious. God will deliver us from Satan, from the Antichrist, from the oppression of evil men, and... We rejoice in that. Ultimately, you know the verse that says, uh, no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. Well, this is kind of the ultimate fulfillment of that. No weapon that is formed against against God's people will prosper. God will bring it down in judgment. He will bring an end to all evil, and we rejoice in that. Number four, God's judgment will mean salvation has arrived for us. God's judgment will bring in the final, perfect, eternal kingdom of God on earth. And so we rejoice because God reigns. The Lord God Almighty reigns. And so that is our rejoicing. When we see him come in judgment, we know that he is coming to reign. He's taken over. Hallelujah. So when we pray... Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven indirectly in a sense we are praying for God to come in judgment because God's will will not be done on this earth until he comes in judgment people mankind will not let, they will not have God's will be done except God take over by force when God comes in judgment so your kingdom come your will be do- done on earth as it is in heaven and that that will be ushered in the kingdom will be ushered in by the day of judgment the judgment of babylon is described here the judgment of the world let us rejoice and be glad for the lord god almighty reigns for the wedding of the lamb has come it's judgment and then the wedding of the lamb but it's the fi- it's the judgment it's the final judgment on this world that will usher in the kingdom, and the reign of our God. And that's what we long for. And that's what we pray for. And so in that, we rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you really, really for the incredible things in Isaiah 47 and Revelation. Um, God, we, uh, we ask you to just open, open our eyes to what a mighty, awesome uh, God you are. And Lord, we... We just declare this morning that we, we want to come out of Babylon, of the world, and we want to be in the city of God. We want to be in the new Jerusalem. That's where we want to end up, not under judgment. And uh, we thank you for making provision for us for that through Christ. Uh, we thank you so much that you have saved us made a way to save us through Jesus Christ from the just judgment that we otherwise would deserve. Lord, I ask you to, to take this word, bless it to our hearts. Um, as only your spirit can, we ask you to use this in our lives, to mature us, to deepen us in our, in our worship and praise, to deepen us in our sense of your glory and power and majesty, to deepen us in our trust of your overall Um, rule and reign on this earth and of human history and the way that you're going to bring all things to an end and have even declared that to us the end from the beginning we love you and we worship you O Lord God almighty hallelujah to your name amen